October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I've been asked what inspires or excites me about my work within the industry. Hands down, it's community. Once again this year, community has turned up aces for me as I joined an OWASP project and ended up being asked to participate as a lead in that very same project. But it doesn't have to be taking on a lead role. It could be working on any project. One thing I've come to find out is that there are a lot of roles that are available for anyone to take on. It doesn't have to be within OWASP. The Linux Foundation has an amazing project called the Open SSF, whose aim is to secure us from some of the most unsecurable problems that we've got in the industry. So if you want to do something special for cybersecurity awareness this month, join a project community. Time and time again, it's what gets things done in the cybersecurity industry. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of This Month in Security for October 2023. I'm your host, Aubrey King with Dev Central, and joining me this month, we've got Ads Dawson. In my spare time, I'm a bug bounty guy. I like Rust APIs, trying to learn a bit of GraphQL, and then always having fun with anything I can get involved in, really. Shafi Samin Yasser. And it was the first research project on the security of smart agent care systems. So I just felt like this is not a topic that's often talked about in the security space at all. Lori McVitie. It's the subject of many memes. I have a teenager, I see memes, and they're all over in InfoSec has been particularly adept in picking up meme culture. And this morning, apparently, Matthew Prince of Cloudflare was given the Octa Employee of the Month award. And Malcolm Heath. Quite often, it was simply just, we have a problem, I can describe it to you. I can't describe my network. I can't send you any configuration files. I can't send you any log files. And we're on a, a network that you can't connect to to do any testing, even under my supervision. So what do you think? We're going to be talking about how to come up with the idea for your tech talk, what a release lead does, and then we'll get a roundtable in for the month. So strap on those earbuds and get ready for this month in security. So this month in security was pretty busy for me. Coming up after our quarterly security notification, I got right down to trying to make sure that I was prepared for two speaking engagements I had at the Rochester Security Summit as well as the Ottawa B-Sides. I went back to Ottawa. Some of you who are familiar with my LinkedIn may have seen that I was at the Amazon Public Sector Symposium not too long ago. So heading back was absolutely fantastic. While I was there, I bumped into another presenter who spoke about elder care and the cybersecurity around that. I found it fascinating. So I asked her to come and talk to the community about it. I also caught up with ads from Cohere, who I know from the OWASP Top 10 for Large Language Models, to ask him a little bit about his role as a release lead for the project. In addition to that, of course, I had time to do a roundtable like we usually do, but this time we were joined by a pretty special guest. F5's own Lori McVitie, and she really added to the conversation that I had with Malcolm on the road. I think we'll start with my conversation with ads. For Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I put out that little piece at the beginning of the show to try and inspire people to maybe contribute to a project. 
fascinated by what he had to do with the OWASP Top 10 for Large Language Model Applications and wanted to share with the community exactly what a release lead is for a project like this. Can you tell us a little bit about who are you, what it is that you do for uh, day-to-day? I'd say, yeah, I'm Ads. Uh, I work at Cohere. I'm a senior security engineer. I've got a diverse background. I started out as a network apprentice, um, interested in penetration testing, API testing. Primarily what I kind of take care of is the red team and blue team exercises, as well as obviously our model security. And in my spare time, I'm a bug bounty guy. I like REST APIs, trying to learn a bit of GraphQL, and then always having fun with anything I can get involved in, really. That's a lot of curiosity. I like it. It sounds like you like to learn. Well, curiosity ultimately sometimes gets you in trouble but it goes outside your comfort zone and elevates you to learn so i love to learn to us i'll try and take on anything any kind of experiments projects yeah i like to learn stuff i found you in a in a learning exercise i guess right I ended up joining the top 10 for large language model applications not too long ago. And when I came into it, I found that the project itself was tracked really um, like a software release. And it's not really a piece of software, it's a piece of documentation. But I was sort of fascinated actually by some of these things I understood. I understood what the overall project lead does. I know what somebody who's responsible for one of the top 10 leads would be focused on. But you were a release lead in the project for the 1.1 release, which just came out. So can you talk to me a little bit about what it is that, that a release lead does for, for a project like this? Uh, yeah, good, good question. I guess it's our inaugural one. So I guess kind of looking at like a technical manager, a project manager perspective, working with project leads, whether they have like questions or concerns about vulnerability entries, how we're doing things, like ultimately deciding what is within the scope of the release. So whether we have time to discuss about removing and replacing entries, which was not based on our time crunch, but also be like what we want to include and how we want to elevate and how we want to make V1.1 better, really. So kind of looking at that from like a technical perspective and then working with everyone in the core team, whether that's like the design team. Did a bit of web dev myself as well, which was fun and cool. Unintended, but next man up. So that's been great fun. And just basically interacting with the community and trying to get feedback and seeing what they want, really, and just trying to produce a stellar kind of next piece of documentation, which we can build on and go from here. Cool. Now, for people that haven't been involved in a, in a project like this, for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I'm trying to just encourage people to go out and participate in a project. It doesn't have to be OWASP or anything, but just any sort of project. So where do you get the ideas for the next document? Like, where, where do these things come from? Typically, people, they yeah. come in through Git and maybe would recommend changes and things like that. We don't have like a specific type of like triage per se. So the best way we've found that we're currently catering it is that we're going through a GitHub issue. So we have a repository under the like organization within GitHub. Through that, like our issue board is assigned to the like the lead. So like myself or someone else from the team, depending on what kind of enhancement, recommendation, mistake that it may be related to. Uh, and that's how we kind of currently triage our work so if you've got like an enhancement suggestion go to the repository go under the issues create a new issue add some slap on some tags and some labels and then myself or whoever it will be will work with you and try and like basically come to a conclusion how to move forward 
Nice. I think I did like a, a couple spelling. Yeah, I have like super OCD, so that bugged yeah. me the most about the V one. Yeah, I just couldn't let her go. So that was the first thing. Get like a standardized linter in on that one's ID. That made me. That was a good day. It made me feel a lot better once we once we nailed that. But no, I've, I I feel the same. And to be honest, like even caters to like our website, we have we actually have like a specific kind of ad hoc website, which is lmtop10.com. Also, my OCD behind L not LM top ten application. Whatever I can, I can, I can let that go. Yeah. So, like, say, yeah, that's pretty much how we're doing the work. But as well as that, obviously, we have like so the like the Slack workspaces. In there, we have like a main channel, which is Project Top Ten for LM applications, I believe, with a couple of dashes in there. But then we have like individual entry channels. So, like, whether ones for myself, for example, I've got like training data poisoning. So there's like an LM training data poisoning channel. So if you have something specific, like maybe it's not an enhancement. Maybe you just want some help or some context or you just want to like, you just want to chat about it or like that kind of thing or contribute to that part. Then that's another way to get involved really, which is, which is all kind of nested underneath our wiki, which is also in the repo as well. That's cool. Well, I, I really, for me, it's been neat just watching this project kind of come through. I joined right right before we came out of beta. I mean, that was my first as a, as a member kind of meeting was just before the, the official launch. And, and so it's been fascinating watching some of this stuff happen in, in live time. And, and now, I mean, like Steve, he seems to have like interviews every other week with publications. It's Steve's the, rocking. Yeah. He's Mr. Worldwide for sure. Absolutely. It's, I think it's, it's just neat to watch all the eyes on this project and, and really thank you for all the work you did with 1.1 is fantastic. Okay. Thank um, you. And it's it's nice to, for people that haven't consumed 1.1 yet, please obviously go check that out. I got to say that I love the addition of a graphic. We needed a graphic yeah. to add. Thank you. Yeah, everyone everyone loves pictures. No, the, the insight behind that was my, my kind of master plan, as it were, I guess, for the project. So one thing I'd love to see is the involvement of things like CWEs and mappings so people can kind of threat model or look like an architecture and not just kind of read like a piece of text they can then visualize it and see how maybe like we can establish things like trust boundaries or where these kind of vulnerabilities like commonly occur to give a bit of more of a like a holistic picture i guess really so nice now we're not doing a 1.2 is that correct no i know going going like it's going all out yeah streets two let's nail it which i'm excited about so yeah there's a lot of things that i i'm hoping we can achieve so everyone's feedback is hugely appreciated and uh, yeah let's do it I know you're going to be doing a ton to make that happen. I'm I'm quite certain of that. And I guess with that, really, thanks for thanks for setting aside some time for me today and 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 getting to chat with our community. I appreciate it. Likewise, always a pleasure. Thanks, Albert. Pretty interesting stuff. I hope you were inspired to maybe join a project because of my Cybersecurity Month push. Now we're going to catch up with Laurie McVitie and my buddy Malcolm Heath for our monthly roundtable. When, when we first started talking, you talked a little bit about, about the Okta breach, Lori. That to me seems to be the big news out there right now. You, you say they were giving out Halloween access tokens. That, that can't be true. No. Well, I don't know. It's impacted so many other organizations we're hearing. It's the subject of many memes. I have a teenager. I see memes and they're all over. And InfoSec has been particularly adept in picking up meme culture. And this morning, apparently, Matthew Prince of Cloudflare was given the Okta Employee of the Month award. And I'm not sure if they were serious. 
Or if it was a joke, this thing has just exploded. It's been so far reaching because it's SaaS, it's an identity provider, and so many organizations rely on them for all yeah. sorts of things that it's just going to keep trickling out. We're going to continue to hear about, oh, we were breached because, and it's going to be tied to Octa for months. So that's one of those things when I was an SE here, whenever somebody would talk about federation and identity management, it was always Okta. And never really thought much about the fact that it was always Okta. But now that we've got kind of a high priority breach that is so impacting, it, it kind of makes you wish for competition. Alternatives. The hard thing, though, is if you have a product that works so well, people just rely on it. The number of companies who are adopting like passwordless right now, pass keys, for everything from ops to windows to consumer things to shopping. I mean, it's gone mad. It's growing. And part of that is because credential abuse and attacks are right at critical point. It's boiled over, right? As you said, Pastebin as our password manager these days, that's how many right breaches there have been because of and credentials, right? It's all it's all at the root of it. So the shift toward passwordless is not surprising. It's just accelerating and kind of a proof point like, yeah, that's why. Yeah. Let, let's get us there. I mean, pass keys seem to be offered on more and more and more sites, which is great. My password manager keeps asking me if I want to use more pass keys. That's kind of given me the push. That for me is amazing because I was starting to feel comfortable with my password manager. It had not been breached in quite some time, but now, sure enough, after a year of reporting another password manager's failures and whew, I feel safe, all of a sudden, I, I am not feeling so safe. What do you do? I mean, we go passwordless, right? But we still have to use passwords and password managers for quite some time, I think. I mean, just because we started doesn't mean we're, we're already there. I was just sort of ruminating here a little bit about so many things about this that we've seen before, certainly. I mean, you have a software as a service platform and you're shifting a, a lot of operational responsibility for a bunch of benefits to that. It makes a great deal of business sense often. It, it allows you to focus more on the core mission of your business and not not have to worry about all this other stuff, except that what you're essentially doing is you're shifting the risk and the responsibility over to some other provider or some other platform. And there are obviously some attendant risks there. And if anything, the last many years have taught us that you can't just forget that you've done that. You have to be constantly in mind that you've done that risk shifting and then also have a very, very robust plan about what you're going to do if it turns out that that trust was unfounded or that the likelihood of a particular company, especially one that manages other people's secrets, is going to be targeted and eventually breached is pretty high. So you should probably have a plan B about how you're going to protect your assets and protect your users and recover and also detect. And although I know that there's been a little bit of InfoSec yelling on Twitter about whether or not 1Password did a good job with their recovery process or with their forensic investigation or what have you, the fact is, is that they did actually detect that something had gone wrong and were able to take steps rapidly to address the, the problem. So good for them. I hope that a whole bunch of other companies are also in that same position and not in the position of realizing three months from now that due to this breach, they've had attackers in their network for a quarter or 
longer. And, and that's a great point. And, and let's be fair to everybody. I mean, right now we're poking fun at Okta, but next month someone else will have a breach and, and then it'll be them. You should assume breach, right? That's a core tenant of zero trust is assume a breach and then have a plan. What are you going to do when this happens? How are we going to make sure that we don't have things lingering behind, that they didn't leave something that we have to worry about or do something we have to be concerned about? Everybody is going to experience breaches, right? How do you respond is more important than did you get breached? That's not the the standard, the stick that we measure people by anymore. It's how you respond to it. That's more important, I think, these days. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think in this case, it, it really makes a difference because we're talking 50 billion users. They have 17,000 customers and 50 billion users of the Okta platform. But there's only 8 billion people on Earth. So how does that? Somebody's got some alt accounts, I think. Yeah, I think so. We got to call Dan Woods. And that happened, this happened on October 18th as well. So we're still seeing blowback from this. I, I, I bet we'll continue to see stuff for quite some time too uh, as we go. Do we know if things are, are finished off at this point? They don't know if people are still in or is this still up in the air? As far as I know, and I may very well be wrong, so I'll take this all with a grain of salt, was that one password noticed that one of their Okta instances looked to have been accessed inappropriately. And they were able to close that down and and prevent any further access. Some backtracing from that ended up revealing that I believe an Okta employee account had been breached. Two. And then from there, the attackers were able to access HAR files, which are web activity recording files. They're commonly used, right? I think most browsers can generate them. They are used for troubleshooting and that kind of thing. So sort of like a network packet capture, except for specifically for web traffic. And unfortunately, those recordings actually had valid tokens and other authentication material for specific customers, one of whom was 1Password because they had apparently had an issue and they had done some troubleshooting and there it was. So that was at least the way that that had happened. Now, the question I, I don't know the answer to, but the one that I would naturally ask next is, well, what other customers had hard files laying around and were those taken? Have they seen any weird activity based on that, et cetera? So I, I think that part's up in the air still. The HAR file laying around, you use that term, and one wonders if, is that, or is this laying, was just out of my dresser? I don't know. I just threw it there. Should it have been? What are best practices around those kinds of files? Operational practices in general. What what kind of information do you have? We, we're all keyed in on observability and making sure we have logs so we can trace everything. We want to know what's going on. But where are we storing that and how are we protecting that information? Because that could increasingly become another point at which attackers can go, oh, look at that. I have everything I need. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many scenarios that I can think of where we have necessary valid data from customers from our own companies that, that include stuff that we wouldn't want anyone else to see. And whether that's authentication material or whether that's PII or whether that's trade secrets or, or whatever. And the management of those in a way that allows for an account to be compromised and yet then still have to go through some level of authentication to gain access to that data is something that I think might be kind of an emerging topic. 
because in general, we've we've kind of assumed, well, look, if you're a support tech, you have access to the support tech files. And as long as those support tech files or support tech accounts remain uncompromised, then I guess that's fine. Except it's not really, because even if you have it locked down at a user level, if one of those accounts gets breached, then the attacker has access to that stuff. So you probably are starting to look at something much more complex where it's like in order to gain access to the data that you've stored in some secure manner, you have to go through another layer of authentication to say that, yes, you are, in fact, the person who is assigned to this case and has access to it and you have to view it within a specific context and not just download it to your laptop. There's a whole bunch of other things that you need to deal with that. And I don't know if a ton of companies have really gotten quite that deep into those sort of threat factors or not. I know some have, but I'm not sure if it's a very common thing, especially when clearly for a lot of companies, they're struggling to keep their head above water when it comes to what we probably all would consider to be sort of baseline security table stakes about patching, about network configurations, about backups, about all these other things, right? So yeah, we'll see how that goes out. It brings me back to to my time again with, with my customers. There was always some hesitance. I guess whenever I would say you want to just use iHealth and you upload this quick view into iHealth and, and you have the ability for us to see your configuration, it was always like, well, wait a minute, what can you see? Do you have my keys? That was always the first question. Like, do you have my keys? And it's, no, I do not have your keys. I, I like that we had attention to, to detail in that way. And it was always nice for me to describe to customers, hey, we have a couple of different ways of archiving your configuration. And the reason that we do this is so we don't take any of your private data that would get exposed like this. It's a valid concern, right? We see traffic, right? You say that, right? We say, oh, well, we're 400 million sites and, and we're in front of it. We are. But when you start thinking about what that means in terms of the data that we see, the transactions that we see, the PII that we process, the keys, the trans, you name it. That is a lot of responsibility to bear in terms of how do you handle it? How do you protect it? It makes you more cautious because you're aware of just how precious those cargos are and what you have to do to protect it. So you default on the side of we won't store or we won't share as much because we'd rather be safe than sorry. I think that's almost how you have to approach it is it's like putting your kids in the van. You put them in there and then you buckle them in. Why? Because, you know, you're safe. You don't give it to someone who's just like throwing them in the back of the truck and going down the road. You're like, no, oh, it's not safe, right? Be a little cautious. Or you live in a college town. Yeah, you're reminding me of, of some of these support cases I took many years ago when I was an enterprise network engineer with F5, where where the people that we were working with were, were government or military or, or other places that had very, very strict requirements. And quite often it was simply just, we have a problem. I can describe it to you. I can't describe my network. I can't send you any configuration files. I can't send you any log files. And we're on a, a network that you can't connect to to do any testing, even under my supervision. So what do you think? And a lot of times it was just like, if it was me, I might be looking at these things. I wish you the best of luck and give me a call if you figure anything out. You know? And most of the time, I mean, to their credit, I think because the people that I was talking to worked in that environment, they were very, very capable of self-serving in that situation because they had to be. So most of the time they got it figured out and that was great. Or I never heard, which is maybe less great for me, but as long as they're happy, then that's fine. 
Yeah. If the case is resolved. That's right. right. If the ticket's closed, we're all happy. You know, I think one of the things we talked about last month was just that, that trust, like was mentioned already. How do you deal with the fact that it happened, right? How do you deal with that? And I do like that Octa's been out there coming forth and saying, yeah, this happened. And yes, it happened. Not pointing fingers or anything, really just trying to figure out how they can eliminate the blast radius, it seems like, or minimize that anyways. It could be worse, right? We had a situation also this month where someone was not quite truthful about the activities, correct? I'm not entirely sure what the correct legal terms is, but it's it, perhaps an indictment. For, yeah, that was yeah. fascinating. The sea change that I've seen with the solar winds thing that, that just came out a few days ago, along with the increased attention that the federal government is, is paying to ransomware and AI and a number of other topics in, in the technology field, I think is part of a slowly but but rapidly escalating degree of attention. That, that, that the industry is, is receiving when it comes to security specifically. And it's fascinating to watch. I'm, I'm overall kind of hopeful. I, I think this might just be something that will get us further along than we've, than we've had to get along. I mean, for an awful lot of businesses, you may have a lot of security people saying, this is the best practice, we want to do this, but there may not be the resources or the money or there's other competing needs. But when a, when a regulator or the government comes over and says, you must, that kind of pops things up to the top of the list. As a security professional, I'm just like, okay, let's hope this uh, actually gets us further along. It's going to be challenging, though, for an awful lot of businesses, I'm sure. As far as the SEC thing goes and, and SolarWinds, I am not judge, jury, and executioner here. But the accusation is, is that the person and the company misrepresented what they were doing to their shareholders. And that is absolutely something that should be called out and and addressed. I mean, we, we need to be so, honest. Well, especially when that's a two-year hostile takeover of all kinds of IT monitoring mm-hmm. systems out there. So I think you need to be just very truthful at that point and, and well, work to, again, limit that blast radius. The whole thing was just, I mean, I was, I was actually reading about this yesterday to kind of catch myself up again on it since it had been a while. But you had a, you had what at least is widely believed to be a hostile foreign power intelligence service spending a great deal of time and energy to perform a sophisticated compromise of a supply chain. That always seems a little weird to me, but essentially, yes, an IT supply chain compromise of a vendor that was used all over the place, including government and all sorts of very, very sensitive environments. And they took their time and they were really sophisticated about it and they were very careful about it and the trade craft was really good. This is serious stuff. This isn't just somebody like hacking into your Linux server and running a crypto miner. This is the real deal. And if that's who you're up against and you're going to be trusting a security company or, a, or an IT software company or whatever to, to handle some part of your thing or provide you tools to be able to manage your environment, you need to be able to at least establish some level of trust that says that they are at least trying to do the right thing and hopefully doing it well. Which is why I think this is such a wonderful example of it is because of mistakes that were made and and lack of ability to detect things and, and a whole bunch of other things that happened, albeit against a sophisticated attacker who was not easy to find, and I'm sure it was a challenge. They found themselves in a situation where they were the conduit for a hostile actor to get access into government systems, like including the Pentagon. If you're going to be in that ballpark, you've really got to know what you're doing and you've got to be really, really honest and truthful or or else this is 
it's going to be a bad time for everybody, including you later when the government decides to come knocking on your door with a bunch of papers. That's what I took away from, right, just cursory readings of what was going on is, gee, if you lie, you get in trouble. I mean, right, do we have to go back to, you know, if I can't trust you to tell me the truth, right? I mean, own it, right? Go back to how you respond. We know breaches happen. We get that. We know we can't stop 100%. So be honest. It's how you respond. It's not only what you do, but it's what you tell people about what's going on. People are, they're suffering from like fear and anxiety. Does this affect me? What do I need to do? They're looking for direction and they're looking for honesty. Be transparent, be open and give them clear direction. This is what we're doing. This is what you need to do. And together we're going to get through this, right? That kind of an attitude rather than, well, we're doing something, right? I, I don't know how the solar winds response went, but uh, apparently it was not optimal. It did, did not impress. No, and, and honestly, that makes me really happy to be, there are a million things that make me happy to be here at F5, but honestly, one of the things that I, I really love about being here is that transparency with our community. We've got our own disclosure issues right now, right? Uh, every vendor has issues with disclosure, but the way that we've handled them, I think as they've come out has been fantastic. And I also will mention for anyone that's well, actually, it will have already happened by the time this comes out, but we're about to do a, uh, a live stream tomorrow morning, which would be Friday the 3rd, right? Just to kind of face the community and, and see if there are any issues like, hey, do you, do you have any questions about what's going on with this? Yes, there are a bunch of support cases right now, but what more can we do? And I, I think that anytime you approach a situation that way, rather than, no, no, we didn't, this, did, this isn't how it happened, or let's try to hide something, you just deteriorate that trust. And I think in this industry, that's the greatest asset you got is trust with a customer. Yes. Yeah. Zero trust should not apply to how your customers feel about you. That's not what you want in the end. You want them to be able to trust when that means being open and also taking that feedback, right? If you know, going out and saying, what could we do better, right? What is it that you didn't get out of what we've told you that you needed to know so we can improve that process, right? Continual improvement, even in the face of, okay, this was a thing that happened. Help us make it better for the next time. Be honest about it. Thank you so much for joining us this month, Lori. It's great to, to have you on. Thank it's always, always good to get another perspective. It's always fun to be here. I enjoy these conversations. We didn't talk about this before, mm -hmm. but anything cool that, that you got coming up that you're working on for the day job when you're not podcasting? I've been deep in code and you name it. There's a significant percentage of F5 that's just focused on how do I do this with AI? Interesting. So I'm trying to replace myself. I have like three projects going. And if I do the, if they, we get these right, I could just like sit back and podcast all day. Right. Well, yeah. And in my, in my spare time, I'm trying to figure out the AI stuff. So that that's, that's kind of my, my moonlighting job. All right. Well, thanks again. And I guess we'll, we'll do this again next month. Next, I'd like to show you a conversation that I had with Tashafi Samin Yasser at the Ottawa B-Sides event. I had a chance to see her talk on the cybersecurity issues focused on elder care. It really made me think about things a little bit differently in terms of what we do for elder care and how that looks in the future. Check it out. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much for doing this. I've never been in a podcast before. <laughs> well, I, I thought your your talk was spectacular. And we're here at B-Sides Ottawa for the community, right? Actually, before I get to the question, you're out of university by... I graduated like 
four months ago. Four months ago. Okay. Yeah. And already speaking at <laughs> B-Sides. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation. Well, it was very, very natural. It was great. But the thing that really blew my mind was your topic. Mm -hmm. And can you let everybody know what, what you spoke on? So my talk was on my graduate research and I was working with National Research Council Canada on the security of elderly care. So you can think of it as smart home security, but it's not a regular smart home. It's a smart home that caters to older people. So it's something that should be able to automate the caregiving, the services that you get in a traditional senior care home. So with that, there are unique challenges, unique cybersecurity challenges that don't come up in regular smart homes. Well, what made me want to talk to you about it was mm -hmm. the idea. When I was putting together my talk, I had really had no idea where to start. And your topic was very specific. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know if you had any advice for people or how did you come up with the topic for that? It was just that I was already familiar with the topic and I've published in that space. So I feel like I have at least some authority to speak about it. And it was the first research project on the security of smart aging care systems. So I just felt like this is not a topic that's often talked about in the security space at all. And this is my first time speaking at B-Sides Ottawa. And as I was telling you, I feel like I'm, I have the least experience out of all the guests. Like they're all so very experienced compared to me. But I felt like the reason why they selected my talk is because it isn't often talked about in the security space, smart aging care security. Like I feel like elderly care is something that's, that's a recent problem too. The demographic shift is something we're only recently experiencing. So this is something that we need to talk more and more about in the future. So I just thought I should share that idea with the community. I love it. Do you have advice for people who are looking to put together a talk or looking to get out there and talk in cybersecurity? Advice for how people should come up with their talks? I just feel like whatever you think, you want to tell people that people are not thinking enough about. You know, I, I would say that they shouldn't look for like the next hot thing because that's what everyone will talk about. Instead, something that they think not enough people are talking about, but it's something people need to know, you know? I do, I do. <laughs> I think that's great. Now, have you put this talk out anywhere else? Like, are no. you planning on? So that that's something that's that's fun too. One of the things that I've I've come to learn because I, I went through a similar process. I think I've talked about my process in terms of trying to put together a talk on the podcast before, but I have you know, asked for advice on this. And one of the things that I found is that if you come up with a talk and it works and it's good, pitch it again, do the same talk again okay. and again. Okay. That's, that's very good advice. And like, I don't know where this will take me or like if I'll work with National Research Council again or if, if I'll do conferences <coughs> again. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to talk about it again and again, because I think it needs to be talked about elderly care. I think so, too. And having the just the, the way that you talked about, you know, IoT devices and elderly interacting with them and AI, elderly interacting with AI. I think there are some unique threats. And truly, I didn't think about this in, in the past either. It wasn't until I heard you talk about it that I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to be 
dealing with these things with, you know, my mother. Don't anyone tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't think about it either before I started working on it. You know, like accessibility and cybersecurity. Yeah, I I think it, it needs to become more of a thing than it is now. Like we need to think about not just older people, like people who are experiencing cognitive decline, you know, people who have problems with dexterity, like navigating the UI. What do we do for them? How do we think of security for them? These are amazing questions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope that you get a chance to, you know, go out and do more talks like this in the future. I hope. I would love to. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you much. And thanks, community. Thanks for checking out this month in security for October 2023. We hope you liked what you saw. If so, please click like, subscribe, maybe even write a comment if you can. This Month in Security is a podcast from Dev Central, an F5 community marketing platform, and is available for consumption on all major podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. Thanks again for checking us out. Hope to see you next month.